The significance of a new year is more significant than I think a lot of us have understood in time. Because God is a God that He marks times and seasons, whether it's in our life or whether it's something that He's going to do in the earth. But there are specific times and seasons that God has marked for His people. No man knows the day nor the hour when Jesus is coming back except for the Father. Jesus was born in due time, which is the right time. We came into the earth not by accident, but the Scripture says in Acts chapter 17 that God has set the boundaries of our habitation, meaning where we will be born, what family we would be born to. Well, what if somebody was born to a very good family and another person was born to a very bad family? But God set where they would be born, who they would be born to. Is it a coincidence? No. Is God unjust? No. But what if the person born in the bad family could turn the whole family around because they were willing to go deeper in wisdom and revelation and seeking God than the people who were born to a good family? What if the people that were born in bad families actually became world changers? And because they were born in a bad place, that they were actually willing to help other people get out of the place where they came from. See, we all came from that bad place. We all came from sin. We were all in the dunghill. We all lived in filth and in darkness at one time in our life. But all of a sudden, the light of the gospel of Jesus became reality to us. God never changed, but all of a sudden we changed. And we seen ourselves in a different light than what others seen us. Because the next day after you were born again, you still look the same. <laughs> I don't know about you, but after I was born again, I didn't wake up with my face glowing the next day. Matter of fact, if I wouldn't have told most people I was born again, they would have just assumed I was having a very good day that day. <laughs> because circumstances didn't change. My physical appearance didn't change. But all of a sudden... Someone who had a dead spirit inside, that spirit became alive unto God, and I was no longer the same. So it doesn't matter what walk of life we come from, whether it's good or whether it's bad, God is the one who set the boundaries on where we should be born and when we should be born. We weren't born in the 1700s. We weren't born in the 1800s. We weren't born in the 1600s. We weren't born in the 1500s. And there's a reason for that. Because God has chosen to place you here in the environment that you came in so that you can change that environment and bring Jesus into a place that's Jesusless, that's hopeless. Because at one time we were foreigners without hope and cut off from God in the earth, the scripture says. But no longer are we foreigners without hope or without God. Now we have God, we have hope, and everyone who looks to Jesus and puts their trust in Him 
the scripture says that they have everlasting life. That means that your life here continually should be increasing until the point we cross over. From the time you're a baby to the time you die, you're continuing to grow, except now to the point of maturity, now it actually starts decaying because of sin. Not because of sin in us, but because the earth is cursed. But there's a lie that's believed in the earth that says that once you reach 70, once you reach 80, you have to slow down a little bit. But what if there was an anointing for 70 and 80 and 90 and 100 that made you an astonishment to the people around you? Where they said, what are you doing? How did you get such longevity? And you was to tell them that God has preserved me because he's promised me something. And he says in Psalms 91, I will honor them with long life and set them on high because they have known my name. The only condition in that psalm is that you've known his name. That's grace. The grace of God isn't conditioned upon you. It's conditioned upon Jesus. With Jesus comes all grace. The moment that we accept him, we become his. What if he wanted to do something in our lives that superseded all the previous lineage in our lineages? What if he wanted next year to be the greatest year that you have ever experienced? And you say, well, why wouldn't I experience this, especially you guys that are older? Why wouldn't I have experienced this when I was 20? I bet you Abraham asked God the same thing. But you know what? When you've been waiting on something for so long and it comes to pass and you didn't have the strength to perform it, it makes you stand in awe of the vastness of God and how much he is intricately involved in our lives. He loves us with an everlasting love. I think I'm going to be preaching this message backwards. <laughs> so I'm going to start in Mark chapter 4, verse 21. I believe the message title today is going to be a new thing. So chapter 4, verse 21. And he said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand. For nothing is hid except it be made manifest, nor is anything secret except it come to light. And he said to them, If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, Pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. In context, Mark chapter 4 is the parable of the sower. The sower goes out and he sows, and some fell among stony places. Some fell on earth that didn't have much dirt. Other fell among thorns, and some fell on good ground. At the end of that parable, when he explains it to them, they ask him privately, what does this parable mean? And he said, if you don't understand this parable, how will you understand any parable? And then he goes on to say, to you is given to know the mysteries of God. So specifically, he's talking about the kingdom of God in all of Mark chapter 4. When you go and read it, I would encourage you to go and read it. 
But he said to them, Is a lamp brought in and put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except it comes to light. Any time that I have ever read that, I always thought it was referring to sin. How many of you guys have heard that there's nothing hidden that won't be brought to the light, there's nothing done in secret that won't be made manifest? Referring to sin. Can I see a hand? Praise God. Praise God. I'm not alone. But the light that he's talking about is revelation. The light that you don't put under a bed, but that you put on a candlestick, that it can light the whole house, is revelation. The stuff that is hidden, that'll be made manifest, is what God has hidden, that he's waiting to reveal to us, because to us, to you, is given to know the mysteries of God. And in that, he's talking about the kingdom. The secret things that were kept secret in the kingdom are meant for you. And when you're given them, you're not supposed to put them under a bed. You're supposed to set them on a table so that it can give the whole house light. And you think, well, what secret things of the kingdom of God would God want to reveal to me? What would he want to show me? And he said to them, as a lamp brought in, to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand. For nothing is hidden except it be made manifest, nor is anything secret except it come to light. Let's move down to Mark chapter 4, verse 30. And he said, What can we compare the kingdom of God, or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground, is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make its nest in its shade. Another parable he uses to describe the kingdom of God in Mark chapter 4, he says, The kingdom of God is like as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. He said that the kingdom of God is likened unto seed that a man took and scattered. And that man didn't know how it came forth to be the full plant. He sleeps night and day, and he rises, and he knows not how it grows, but it grows. When we put the Word of God inside of our lives, it causes the kingdom of God to grow inside of us. The kingdom of God is everything that God has given us access to because of Jesus, not because of us. The kingdom of God, it's not something that's hard to access. Because the kingdom of God is inside of us. Jesus lives inside of us. The Holy Spirit lives inside of us. Salvation for Christians is the starting point. It's not the end point. Some people accept Jesus and they say, well, I'm glad now I get to go to heaven. Heaven is the starting point. 
learning to operate in the kingdom of God as a child is probably one of the hardest things to do because we're programmed opposite to that reality. We're programmed that we have to work in order to obtain. We're programmed if we love, then he loves us. But what if we didn't have to work? What if everything in the kingdom was freely given to us because of who Jesus was, not because of who we are? Because we have Jesus, we've been given a new name. Now it is based upon who we are, but it's because of who we have. We have the Son of God as a representative on our behalf. The kingdom of God is ours. How to access the kingdom is completely different than being in the kingdom. Because you can be in the kingdom of God and still live as a servant on earth. A lot of people are. A lot of people have been born again into the kingdom of God, yet they still live like servants here on earth, not as children. But being born into a family gives you the rights of the family to learn how to exercise those rights, to stand in authority when opposition tries to come against you is one of the greatest things that you'll ever do because it's a necessity. We'll all face trials in this life. We'll all have hard times. But what will be doesn't have to be based upon what was. Because when God does a new thing in the earth, it's not like the former. It's based on the former. He'll never violate his word. But it's not like the former. That's why the importance of the scripture that says that everything hidden shall be revealed and everything kept in secret shall be made known. It's important that we know that God has secrets that God has hidden things for us, not from us. But he wants to reveal them to us so that we become vessels of revelation unto us is given to know the mysteries of God. I'm going to look in Genesis chapter 15, verse 13. This is when the Lord is about to make covenant with Abraham. Abraham gets the different kind of animals. He separates them in two halves. And then the Lord says this to him right before they're about to go into covenant. Then the Lord said to Abraham, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nations that they serve, and afterwards they shall come out with great possessions. You shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age. God's about to make a covenant with Abraham right before he makes the covenant. He says, well, you should know this, though. <laughs> Your offspring is going to be slaves pretty much for 400 years in a land that's not their own. They're going to face oppression. You think that would be the last thing you would want to tell somebody before you're about to enter into covenant, right? Like, you might just want to leave that out in case the man changes his mind. <laughs> but it was because of God that Abraham would even have a seed. And God wasn't just going to share in Abraham's seed success. He was also going to be there in their failures. He was also going to be there when they were mistreated. He told them the time frame that it would be. Let's read in Exodus chapter 3, verse 6. We're going to skip all the way past the 400-year period, past the birth of Isaac, Jacob, 
the 12 tribes of Israel. Now we go to the fulfillment of what God said he would do in delivering his people. Abraham's seed. Let me recap just for a minute. Moses was raised in Pharaoh's house. He ended up killing an Egyptian soldier that was beating an Israelite, a Hebrew. He buried him in the sand. The Pharaoh found out, wanted to kill Moses, so Moses fled to Midian, where he stayed 40 years, where he met a girl, married, had two sons, and he lived with his father-in-law, Jethro. It's not the Beverly Hillbillies. I don't know if that's where they got the name, but... <laughs> This Jethro was way before that. God appears to Moses in a burning bush, and this is where we pick it up. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the afflictions of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their suffering." God gives Moses his plan to deliver the Israelites. I don't know about you, but I always wondered the time frame of like, well, when did this mass exodus take place? Like, was it three to five years? And so I was looking up on the internet and they didn't give you anything for certain. But most of them said one year, three to six months. But to verify it, I was looking at the scriptures and I started doing the math. And Moses was 80 when God appeared in the bush to him. He wandered in the desert for 40 years, which would make him 120. Moses dies at 120. That means that Moses, in order to travel in the wilderness for 40 years, and not enter into the promised land, but to see it with his own eyes and then die, means that God appeared to him in the bush at 80, and the Exodus, he was still 80, if you're going to travel 40 years in the wilderness. So it was probably more like five to six months. And you think, well, Steve, what does that have to do with the message today? It has everything to do with it. Because sometimes we base our experience of what God is going to do based upon what was. You can say, Steve, you know, 400 years of bondage, God turned it around in five to six months for millions of people. It wasn't just for one person. He did this for millions of people. And you, you could feel like, well, I've been in this wilderness for 40 years. Well, there's a promise. There's a promise. God watches over his word to perform it. And there's promise, great and precious promises that we have. He's given them to us. When God says, I'm going to do a new thing, he's going to do a new thing. He says in Joel, he says that at that time, I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. He said, your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. Has his spirit been poured out? then our sons and our daughters should be prophesying. I should be seeing vision and you guys should be having dreams. Have we had expectation to see these things? Have we asked God, God, show me the secrets that you have, the hidden things that you want brought to light? 
because God wants to visit us with a great visitation. Receiving the Holy Spirit gave him access to visit you like that. The blood of Jesus gave you a right as a child to spend time with your dad. And there's family stuff that we share with the kids or Heather or my parents. I share stuff with Mark and Val because they're family that I don't share with everybody else. They're personal to me. That's the kind of relationship that the Father wants with us because of Jesus. And this is a message of new beginnings. It's a new beginning. It doesn't matter where we came from. It doesn't matter what we've done up until this point. That tomorrow you can wake up. You can have your new beginning right now. But you know we've been Jesus entering into a room to a lot of people. <laughs> we have been. The scripture says to write the vision and make it plain so that the people can run with it. And after Val did a series of messages, well, I think it was one series, one message particularly talking about the vision board, me and Heather did that. We got the vision board. Crazy thing is, we didn't even really put that many spiritual things on there. <laughs> we just put natural desires that we wanted to see done that if God didn't do it, we wouldn't have it. It wouldn't happen. And we wouldn't do it. Just natural things. So we got stuff of things that we had been believing God for that either we liked or we just wanted. And we found them on the internet. We printed them out on our printer. Heather made this beautiful board that says the Maya Family Vision Board. It's probably three feet by three feet. And it has pictures of everything on there. And this was like two years ago. I was looking at that the other morning. And there's only two things that we were believing for out of like 12 that we're still waiting on. That's very significant. We didn't know how we were going to redo the house because we inherited Heather's grandpa's house. It hadn't any work done since the 70s. So it needed new siding, new windows, needed a new furnace, <laughs> needed new electrical work. Both roofs had to be done. It literally, it needed everything. A new kitchen, it needed pretty much everything. We had no idea. We got a citation from the, the city, but Heather went and picked out all this colors of siding and stuff and printed it out, you know, and she picked out windows and a picture of a house that was all fixed up and she put it on there. We had no ability to do that. The work was like, I think, 36 grand is what it would cost. We didn't even have a grand in the bank account, like had no ability. Her mom said, you should apply for a loan from the city. Well, a city loan, I mean, it's cheap. Uh, the interest rate's super low, but still, they only finance 19000 is all you can get a loan from the city. Well, when we applied for the loan from the city, the contractor that came out said, well, let's see if there's any programs that will assist because you have young children. And he found a program that if they find lead in the house and you have a child under six years old, that they'll pay for whatever has lead, they'll pay a certain amount. So we got $36,000 of work done, and all we owed was 18000 back because of the grace of God. And I was looking at those pictures of the siding and everything. The colors that I wanted, 
I didn't talk to Heather about till we were going to look at them. But they're the colors that she printed out on our vision board. It's amazing. Because most of the time, I don't think we know how much we actually process with God. The things that we want, desires that we want, because every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights. And you're a light that He has fathered. And every good thing that you want, that you desire, most of the time we're processing with God and we don't even know it. I'll use an example of, I'm driving down the road, right? I'm just getting off work. I'm driving down the road. I'm thinking about German shepherds because I like German shepherds' dogs. There was a German shepherd in the yard, this fenced-in yard, and I was looking at it. I'm thinking about German shepherds. All of a sudden, I, I start thinking, well, what if a car's broke down and they have German shepherd puppies? <laughs> and I can help them and get a German shepherd out of the whole deal. No sooner than I think that thought, I'm turning the corner and there's a car broke down in the middle of the road. I'm thinking about German shepherds. God's trying to speak to me about the car <laughs> and they're merging together as one and I got a whole story. <laughs> But I stop, I ask the lady if I can help push it out of the road because it's a minivan. We push it to the side. She said it's gas. She said, I don't have the money. I go buy a gas can, put gas in it, and I give her $20. And it's like, when I gave her $20, I was telling Heather, I don't even know how it happened because I asked if I could pray for her. I prayed for her, gave her the 20 and then I stood there and held her for like five minutes on the side of the road while she cried. Because in that moment, I was Jesus to her. But my thoughts and God's thoughts were marrying together. <laughs> That's why I think it's so important that we do write the vision and we make it plain so that people can run with it. I believe it's very important that we have vision boards. I believe it's very important that we believe that our older years are going to be better than our younger years. I believe that for you guys, that you don't have to get weaker with age, that you can get stronger. Caleb was 40 when he found out the disappointing news that he wasn't going into the promised land. <laughs> Not because of him, but because of all these Israelites. Because the Lord preserved him with an anointing that wasn't common. Because Caleb believed God. He believed God. And because he believed God, the anointing that should have been on all the children of Israel was on Caleb. So when the time comes, Caleb had picked out this certain piece of land on a mountain. And he goes to Joshua and he says, you remember this mountain? He said, that's mine. He said, give it to me. He said, I'm 80 now and I'm stronger than I was then at 40. And you know what? He wasn't just talking. He went in and took the land. He jumped into a pit and wrestled with a lion, I think it was, at 80 years of age. Most people would say, wait, sit down, I'll get this. <laughs> You believed God for those 40 years, but there's something about faith that wants to take possession of the promise. Because we're stirred in our hearts, we've been shown a part, and we know in part, and we prophesy in part. We've been shown a part, and to see the rest will be amazing. 
That's why we don't quit when opposition faces us. That's why we don't stop. That's why we press in when we should be pressing out. Because I've seen too much and you've seen too much to leave. I understand what Peter says when he says to Jesus, where would I go? You have the words of eternal life. The only place that I found life is in what you say. <laughs> I've searched everywhere else. There's times that has been appointed by God for us. There was a time for the covenant of Abraham. There was a time for the delivering of the children of Egypt. There was a time for the birth of Jesus. There was a time of the filling of the Holy Spirit. There was a time. And each one of those things happened in different generations. God is progressive, which means what he did then he builds upon. Like Michelle was saying, he's not going back to revisit old things. He's actually taking us forward. And sometimes we base what we're going to see off what we have seen. But the Lord wants to do something new with us. He wants to make us a creation that stands alone in all of creation, where he can rest his glory upon us. And we become dispensers of his love where we raise up those desolate places, where we restore those former desolations, where we raise up generations of past that lay desolate now, where we bring life, hope, and change where it's needed the most, and that's to his body. Because a lot of people haven't progressed with God. A lot of people are still law-based religion where they believe that if they do good, they'll get good. But if they do bad, they're going to get bad because that's how God is. Sometimes he gives and sometimes he takes away. It's in the Bible, Pastor Steve. How can you argue with that? It's in the Bible, yeah, but God didn't say it. God didn't say I give and I take away. Job said God gives and God takes away. But he said this at one of the most distressed times in his life. And the only conclusion that he could come to is God did this to me. But God, when he appears to Job, he says unto him, were you there when the earth was formed? Were you there when I measured out the deep? Could you count all the stars and tell me their names? Job says, no, I can't do that. He couldn't do that. It's true that in the Bible it says that God gives and God takes away, but it's not God who said it. It's Job. And you think, well, Steve, nothing new is under the sun. What has been will be, <laughs> says the preacher. <laughs> it's true that that's in the Bible, but it's not God that said that. It's Solomon who said it after he was sacrificing in other temples, trying to find some kind of fulfillment because he left the plans of God for his life. God never left him though. God never left him. So it's true that nothing new is under the sun, what has been, what will be. It's true that that's in the Bible, but God didn't say that. God says, behold, I do a new thing, and it's not as the former, he says. Actually, let's read it. This is what he says. In Isaiah 43, 18, 
Remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. The wild beasts will honor me and the jackals and the ostriches. When I read that, I think, why in the world wild beasts? Paul refers to them as brute beasts, talking about men. Jackals laugh at their prey or their enemies. And ostriches stiffen their neck. (laughs) So he was saying to people who are living a life as a wild beast, to people who laugh and mock at me, and to people who stiffen their necks against me. For I will give water in the wilderness, rivers in the desert, to give drink to my chosen people, the people who I formed for myself, that they might declare my praise. When he says, behold, don't consider the old things or the things of the past. He said, for I am doing a new thing. And he said, I'm going to make rivers in the desert, in the dry areas of your life. And the people who laughed, the people who lived like there wasn't no God, and the people who stiffened their neck against me, they're going to see it because you are my chosen people. God's been waiting for a place to host his glory. Ever since the death of Jesus, there's so much of him to give out. He's never exhaustible or exhausted. God could fill all humanity at once with himself and not deplete any of who he is. He wouldn't even be tired at the end of the day. But I'm telling you that life's disappointments can keep you from believing for the unbelievable. And it will keep you from receiving what has been made receivable to us because of Jesus. We all have disappointments. We all have times that we prayed and it didn't work. But what we don't do is question God in those times. Maybe I missed it because God can never miss it. Maybe I just with what I knew, I did the best I could and he commended me. He commended me for doing the best I could, but I don't have to live in that place. I don't have to let yesterday or last year dictate what this new year will be because with a new year comes new things, a greater expression of who God is in our lives. I'm a son. You're a daughter. You're sons and your daughters. Like what good father would want to make their children obey them through fear? We wouldn't call them good. We would call them a terror because someone is made afraid because of you. My daughters are not afraid even when they mess up. They're afraid to get the whipping, yes, but they will tell me if they mess up. And you know what? If they mess up and they're honest, 99.9% of the time, there's no consequences, none. But if they act like it didn't happen... And I don't, know, I don't know what you're talking about, Dad. I didn't do that. It's worse for them. Why? Because I'm a bad father? No, because there's no humility. And when there's no humility, there's no repentance. And without repentance, though I forgive them, they can't accept the forgiveness because they're acting like nothing's wrong. When I mess up, I go to God and I say, God, I blew that with my eyes wide open. I knew it. I knew better than to do that. I don't say I ask you to forgive me. I say I receive my forgiveness because it's a done deal. I don't do it to be forgiven. I'm already forgiven. I do it to cleanse my conscience because my conscience is saying guilty, guilty, guilty. But the blood is saying free, 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 free. 
that you'll never be guilty. You'll never be bound. What I did is greater than anything you can do. And the Lord says to us, you can't even undo what I did. You can't undo it. You can only accept it. It's in the accepting of it that it actually gets done for us in our lives. And once it's done, it can't be undone. Because he said, I'll never leave you or never forsake you. You'll never leave me and you'll never forsake me. Then what shall I be afraid of? Like David said, why would I fear man? What can man do to me? Like God is on my side. He knows me by name. He actually was there. God was there in the delivery room when my spirit was birthed again. He held me in his arms and called me his own. Like, what would I be afraid of? What? Because God is for me. God is for you. He's never going to leave us. He's never going to forsake us. He loves us with an everlasting love. And we're perfect. Like Mark was saying, we're perfect already in our spirit. We're not trying to get perfect. We're trying to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. What's the fear and trembling for? It's to actually keep you aware that it's God. You should be afraid of putting trust in your flesh because the flesh will fail you. That's what the scripture says. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling for it's God that works in you both to have the desire and the ability to do those things that are pleasing to him. You should be afraid of trying to put confidence in your flesh to perform something because at the end of that, there's pride. And God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And the scripture says that when we humble ourselves under God's mighty hand, that he will lift us up in due time. There's nothing worse than pride, bitterness, and unforgiveness. Pride keeps you from receiving grace because you think that you have a right to something. It makes you arrogant. Bitterness actually causes judgment against somebody else based upon what you know, which is very little. <laughs> I told my cousin Jesse before, I try to not make assumptions because 99.9% .9 of the time I'm wrong. <laughs> Your mind wants to go there and paint a pretty picture of you about the negative. I wish it would paint the picture of the positive. Like, well, you know, they think this, they think that, but it never says they think you're amazing. You know, they were just having a bad day and it had nothing to do with you. That's why they were short with you. It's not because they don't like you. It's because they love you. They're just having problems over here. Why don't you pray for them? That never happens. <laughs> I have to direct my thoughts that way because the reverse happens where it's negative. And bitterness, though you are forgiven, it will keep you from experiencing the grace of God in your life because there's unforgiveness in your heart towards somebody else. It's not that God's grace isn't towards you. It's not that God doesn't love people that are bitter. Like I heard Bill Johnson say, bitterness and unforgiveness is murder in diapers. That's why the scripture would say, above all things, guard your heart, for out of it flows the issues of life. A couple weeks ago, I'm driving down the road and I'm telling God, God, I'm lost without you. Like, if you don't guide me and give me wisdom and revelation, like, I'm just doomed. I said, keep me, Lord. And he said, it was loud inside of me. I didn't hear an audible voice, but it was loud inside of me. And he said, you keep yourself in my love and I will keep everything else. It's true. 
It is. To know the breadth, the height, the depth. It surpasses all knowledge and understanding. God loved me when I was at my very worst. And regardless of the past, he has a better future for me. For he said, I know the plans that I have for you. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. To give you hope and a future and to bring you to an expected end. The end of my expectation is always Jesus. Wherever I am and wherever I'm going and wherever I get, from the time I start to the time I'm going to the time I end, I expect him to be there the whole time. Amen. But there's secrets that God has that he's just waiting to reveal to us. If you ever watched the ministry of Sean Bowles, where he receives names and dates and bank account numbers for people he doesn't know. He's not going into their bank acting like he's them to take their money. (laughs) God gives it to him to let these people know that God even knows your bank account number. He knows your birthday. He can tell you your home address. That's hidden wisdom that God wants to give to us. Not so that we can say, wow, that person's spiritual. I've had people say, well, you're a spiritual person. I say, well, if you say so, like, what does that even mean? (laughs) I'm a spiritual person? Well, you know, people in witchcraft call themselves spiritual people. You know, Buddhists, they think they're very spiritual. So what does that mean? I'm a person who's filled with the Spirit, the Spirit of God. But you know that Jesus referred to himself as the Son of Man and the Son of God. He said numerous times, for the Son of Man came into the world too. Or the Son of Man came too. But then we know him as the Son of God. And people say, well, I wonder what Jesus was doing for 30 years. Why isn't any of his Amazing testimony written down from a baby to 30 years old. 30 years of Jesus' life is just missing. What was he doing those 30 years? God was actually learning to be a man. He had never been one before. I don't know if you realize that, but he had never been one before. God, in 30 years, was learning what it was like to be a man. He limited himself, not because he had to. He limited himself to show us what he can do with a son of man. See, because you're the son of man. Every one of you, boy, girl, woman, man, you're the son of man that has became a son of God. We sell ourselves short because of who we are. We think, well, God, I could never do that. Like I know people who aren't serving the Lord where I think, man, God, they would be great if they served you. They're just so talented. They're good speakers. They're just naturally charismatic. People want to be around them. They're funny. So he's not interested in your ability. He wants you to be interested in his ability. It's Christ in us, the hope of glory. What does that mean? The hope of when we get to heaven? No. Christ in us is the hope of glory. The hope of manifesting or carrying the preciousness of God's glory is because we have Christ in us. That we become vessels that can house the glory of God. Not in measure, but in fullness. Do you know that 
Smith Wigglesworth prophesied of the time that's coming. Smith Wigglesworth has 15 or 16 documented cases of raising people from the dead. They have death certificates already. They're at funerals. They've already been embalmed, some of them. He has 16 documented cases of raising people from the dead. And he said to Lester Summerall, he said, what I have seen pales in comparison to what's coming. Oral Roberts, later on, when Jerry Savelle asked him, what's the last thing the Spirit of the Lord showed you? He said to Jerry Savelle, that God said to him, Oral, if you think you've seen the glory of God and the tent meetings and the healing ministries, he said that you haven't seen nothing yet to what's coming. The latter rain, the scripture says, shall be greater than the former. See, most people think that the Christians are going out of here under a cloud of oppression, but we're not. We're actually going to be going out in a cloud of glory, not a cloud of oppression. You know that the early church was one of the greatest oppressed churches. I mean, they beat Peter, James, John, and, and the other disciples that were with them for preaching in the name of Jesus. Persecution doesn't diminish the glory of God. It amplifies it. And so much that when Peter was walking down the street, his shadow was falling on people and they were being healed. They dragged people out of their houses on their mats. That means they couldn't walk. You got a 200 pound man that can't walk. You have to grab his mat and drag him down the street so that Peter's shadow will fall on you. That's the faith that they had because the glory was in full manifestation upon God's people. And you know what the scripture says there in the book of Acts chapter 5, I think it is? They all were healed. What would it look like to have a meeting where every single person walks out healed? That's God's original purpose. That's his original plan. He's getting us to a place to where we can host the presence of God in such a way where no pride, bitterness, or unforgiveness is there. And you can only accomplish this through the work of grace. It can't come any other way. Peter says, such as I have, I give unto you silver and gold I don't have. But he said, in the name of Jesus, arise and walk. Though all this multitude came thronging them. And Peter says to them, why do you look at us as if it was our own holiness or godliness that healed this man? He said, let it be known unto you this day that it's faith in the name of Jesus that has made this man whole. It's faith in his name. We've been given the name which is above every name. <laughs> We're the bride of Christ. Weakness doesn't belong to us. Diminishing with age doesn't belong to us. Health and wholeness belongs to us. I'm telling you, do not base your next experience in the Lord off your former one. Believe him for a greater manifestation of what he said he would do. I've had this arthritis in my knee or in my leg. What would it be like just to wake up whole and not to have any pain? Look forward to that, that he can do it. Like I said, we've all had faith disappointments. All of us have. We've all believed for something and didn't get it. We all prayed and didn't see an answer. But I won't let what I didn't see keep me from seeing what I can see. Just like I won't let what I'm not keep me from becoming who I'm supposed to be. Because I can only do that with the emphasis on Jesus. 
I can only do that looking to him. I can't perfect myself in myself because if I try to find value from myself apart from God, I'm just a vessel, a vessel that's empty. This vessel, it's going to turn back to dust. So it's not even valuable. (laughs) It's not valuable apart from God. But once God fills us with his Holy Spirit, there's no value that can be put on one of us. See, Jesus bought us with his own blood. If you're going to pay something for something, it has to be worth what was paid for, the price. It has to be worth the value of it. If you say, I got this nice watch. If you give me $125, I'll give it to you. And I look at it and it came out of a bubblegum machine. I'm going to say, are you crazy, man? That's like a 25 cent watch. Wouldn't pay that. But if you show me a nice $125 watch and say, you give me $125, you can have it. It's equal value. See, we were worth the blood of Jesus. We were worth the blood of Jesus. That means in God's sight, we were worth as much as the blood of Jesus. Not less than the blood of Jesus, but we were worth the blood of Jesus. See, there's no price to a soul. You can't say to God, I'd give you all the stars in the universe just for one person. Because when God created you, he created you to live forever. Your value is beyond our own comprehension. You're worth more than all the gold and all the galaxies. Just one of you, you're worth that. You were worth God leaving his godhood, his throne, and coming as a man. You were worth that in the eyes of God. You weren't only worth him coming as a man. You were worth him dying a man's death at the hands of a man. God never had to experience death. You were worth that. That's why I said God was in the operating room when my spirit was birthed again. Listen to what he says in Jeremiah 31, 31. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was the husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I'll put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, know the Lord for they all shall know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sins no more. Praise God. A new covenant that he made. In that covenant, we all get to know him from the least of us to the greatest. That means Faithy, who's six years old, can know God on the level that Mark knows God. Because he's a father to her and he's a father to him. And he's a father to the fatherless. (laughs) That they're no longer fatherless because God has become their father. The widow, God has become their husband. It's Isaiah 66, verse 7. It says, Before she was in labor, she gave birth. Before her pain came upon her, she delivered a son. Who has heard of such a thing? Who has seen such a thing? Shall a land be born in a day? Shall a nation be brought forth in one moment? For as soon as Zion was in labor, 
she brought forth her child. Shall I bring to the point of birth and not cause to bring forth, says the Lord? Shall I, who cause to bring forth, shut the womb, says your God? The whole reason why you're pregnant is to give birth. We all are pregnant with promises of God. And he says, will he cause us to have this time of pregnancy without allowing us to bring forth what was promised? Verse 10, rejoice with Jerusalem and be glad for her. All you who love her, rejoice with her in joy, all you who mourn over her, that you may nurse and be satisfied from her breasts that you may drink deeply with delight from her glorious abundance. For this says the Lord, Behold, I will extend peace to her like a river, and the glory of the nations like an overflowing stream. And you shall nurse, you shall be carried upon her hip and bounce upon her knees, as one whom his mother comforts, so I will comfort you. You shall be comforted, Jerusalem. You shall see, and your heart shall rejoice, your bones shall flourish like grass, and the hand of the Lord shall be known to his servants, and he shall show his indignation against his enemies. Man, I love verse 12. For thus says the Lord, Behold, I will extend peace to her like a river, and the glory of the Gentiles like a flowing stream. Then shall you suck, and you be born upon her side, and be rocked upon her knees. As one whom his mother comforts, so will I comfort you, and you shall be comforted in Jerusalem. But in the original text in verse 12 of 66, they added her. So listen to what it says when I take this out. For thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will expend peace to her like a river, and the glory of the Gentiles like a flowing stream. Then shall you suck, you shall be born upon her side, but take it out, you shall be born, it would be upon the side, and be rocked upon the knees. When we make a vision board, and we're processing with God, when we write the vision and we make it plain, when we actually decide to take time to think about what he would want, what we would want, when we allow those thoughts to marry together as one to where he shows us something different than what we've seen, that's when we start to write the vision. That's when we start to say, with God, all things are possible. I have no ability to perform any of this. So unless you really are for me, none of this will get done. <laughs> but because I have you and I have Jesus, all of this stuff, is secondary to Jesus. He was the greatest gift ever given to humanity. Because of him, we have access to the Holy Spirit. He came because of Jesus. The Holy Spirit came. So I would encourage you to make a vision board, to write the vision, make it plain, and don't let what happened in the past or where you are right now dictate where you're going or what will be in this new year. That we can expect to see days of heaven on earth. That we can walk in the fullness that he paid for us to have. That you can be stronger with old age and not weaker. That you can still go in there 
overtake giants and take what belongs to you. That is not dependent upon you. It's just dependent on your belief in God that he was able to lead them in. That he was able to conquer their enemies through them. That's what's amazing. That he called them to go and take the promise, but he was going to be the one that caused them to be the conquerors. It wasn't because of their great battle skills. Not at all. It was just a simple trust in God that he, what he called them to, that he'll actually do it. Amen? So Lord Jesus, we just want to thank you. We want to thank you for your goodness, for your grace, for your mercy. I thank you for your word that's ever present in our lives. I want to thank you for the Holy Spirit that's always with us. I thank you that you're the friend that sticks closer than a brother, that you call us friends, that you, even as children you still call us friends. What it is to be known by you and to know you, it's the greatest gift in life. We just thank you for it, Father. We ask you for secrets, hidden wisdom in secret places. We ask you for wisdom. We ask you that everything that you're planning behind the scenes, that we would be able to bring it out and to set it upon the lampstand so that it can give light to everyone who sees it. We ask you for dreams. We ask you for visions. We ask you for prophecy. We ask you for discernment. Lord, we just we thank you that you work all things together for our good. And we thank you that this next year will be better than any previous year that we will all enter into the secret place, Father. That we'll become a body that is one of the strongest bodies on earth. You would prepare us, Lord God, to rage war on the lies of religion that says that God's mad at you or that you hate people. That you would make us steadfast. That you would give us all boldness. Father, that signs and wonders would be done through the name of your holy child, Jesus that you would just lead us and direct us in this next season as we begin to take these steps, that you would help us to run together hand in hand, that we would keep our eyes on you, and we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.